Okay, good morning everyone. Welcome to a gorgeous day. <laughs> so we're still in the forward. We have a, a couple more pages left before we uh, move on to the actual body of the work. But uh, you, I seem like I, perhaps you have learned a little bit something about uh, uh, Tibetan culture a little bit when it comes to, the, I guess, the monastic culture. So do you remember the Gundan Tipa? Yes. Gundan Tipa? Remember that word? Mm-hmm. <laughs> remember that word? <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Remember that, that, that was... Uh, my teacher has uh, just left being a, a little mischievous monk, mm-hmm. and he was blessed by a, the person who became his root teacher. Uh, so, uh, in what there was an, he was about to become the assistant for uh, what you might call his uh, dorm teacher or something like that. The person who, who was really in charge of making sure that the monks, the little monks, don't misbehave. Mm-hmm. Right? And he was uh, promoted. He was going to get a, a, a some sort of position in the monastery somewhere. He was going to like a little temple, maybe like imagine like a center somewhere. He was going to send to a center to become the the leader of that center. And along with it came uh, some sort of a salary that he was going to get, and he would share it with uh, his assistant. And uh, and the reason he was chosen is because he was the uh, the person who helped people in the in his uh, in the in his dorm with writing letters home, so he, became, he was somewhat already somewhat of a secretary. And since he wasn't going to do any better in his studies, so this was like a good opportunity for him. And finally he received a, a blessing from his teacher, and then he decided, okay, uh, he told, his, uh, he told the, the, the dorm teacher that he wasn't going to uh, take the position as his assistant anymore, he was going to study and take the Geshe degree. And since he was um, spent most of his time being a mischievous monk. The idea of him studying and, bec- and, get, and actually getting a degree was uh, was almost impossible for his te- uh, dorm teacher to consider. And his dorm teacher, remember, uh, didn't receive a very high degree. He received uh, uh, the degree, a geshe degree, but it wasn't the highest one. And he was told that he told him that the day that you become, you get your geshe degree, is the day I become the gun and tipa. Right, and then he was not in any way a candidate to become the Gundam Tipper. So he wasn't aware of saying that there's no way. It's like saying, imagine uh, someone saying, uh, "I'm going to finish college. I'm going to get a, a, a PhD." And the person said, "Well, the day uh, you become the, ge- the day you get your Geshe degree is the day I get become the president of the United States or something like that." And that person has no way of becoming the president of the United States. Okay. And another way for you to consider it, it was as if somebody who, had, who doesn't have a high school diploma yet and is at, hasn't even studied to, to, to get his high school diploma and all of a sudden saying, next year I'm going to, become, I'm going to get my PhD. So it was that, that kind of thought that was going on in the mind of his teacher when he said, I'm going to get my degree. Okay? Uh, he didn't go too much into the classifying the dif- different kinds of degrees, but fortunately now for the omniscient uh, Google, <laughs> you can Google it up, Google a Geshe degree, and then you, I'm sure you find a lot of sites describing the, the history of the Geshe degree, how it came to be. And it's very interesting, uh, because the Geshe degree, uh, conferring a scholastic degree, was something that studied by the Sakya, the Sakyas. The Sakyas uh, existed before the Galupas existed. And the reason that it's, it seems like an a, you know, ironic thing, because right now, I, uh, getting, a scholastic, getting a degree, a scholastic degree, is something that you hear most of, mostly within the Galupas. So the Galupas got the idea from the Sakyas. The Sakyas started the idea of issuing degrees. And it wasn't, it wasn't a degree issued only to those who studied within the Sakya tradition. It was anyone who studied, went to the Sakya monastery, 
uh, and then the, 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 the Sakya monastery would test them on their knowledge and then they would consider whether or not they are worthy of receiving a, a degree. And the first degree that was issued was those who had studied four topics, four philosophical topics. But the four philosophical topics uh, included within it understanding of you know, a six sub-topics. Sub, sub so it was a degree gift, uh, 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 that was given to those who understood well four philosophical topics. And of course, uh, two of the main of the philosophical topics the, uh, were, well, the four main philosophical topics were uh, what you might call epistemology, uh, uh, some ideas of metaphysics, uh, the idea of uh, ontology, and, and uh, what was the other one? Maybe some, some sense of soteriology, but n not so much. So it was getting an understanding of uh, uh, like within Buddhism itself, these topics were, were, were studied un or came under the studies of uh, the perfection of wisdom, understanding the perfection of wisdom, understanding uh, specifically under the perfection of wisdom, uh, you would come to understand what is considered to be the highest presentation of understanding of wisdom, which was Madhyamika, that's middle way philosophy. And then you have uh, uh, under, you have Pramana, that sort of tells you how perception works, how people perceive the world, things like that. And uh, you also had, uh, I guess, also studying ethics, studying the rules, studying the reason for ethics and things like that, and karma and, 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 and uh, um, uh, things dealing with uh, merit and ethics. Okay? So if you've understood those four topics well, those four, and, and you were able to go in depth into them, and you were able to uh, sort of display your understanding of them, then you would get a degree. And then later on, later scholars, sort of like a, uh, uh, later scholars, later uh, big lamas, big teachers, would create their own kind of degrees. And then you had uh, a degree now that became to be known as the overall, overall, overall understanding. That somebody who did not only understand four topics, but sort of understood uh, all, Bud all of Buddhism in general. And, that's, and that became a, a bigger degree, a higher degree. And just like the name Dalai Lama was conferred to, to uh, the, the, the Dalai Lama by the, the, the Mongolians, and I'm not sure, maybe it was a descendant of, of uh, what was that famous Mongolian? Girish Khan. Khan. Yeah, it was a descendant of, of, of the Khan who conferred that, that, that title, basically saying a teacher of vast understanding, an ocean-like understanding. That's what the word Dalai means, right? It's Mongolian for ocean. So he was referring to, it was sort of like referring, conferring upon him the degree so, or the recognition, I understand that you have a vast ocean-like understanding. Okay. So all that is sort of ties up because all the way uh, going back to the time of the Buddha, you 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 have you're conferred a title, not necessarily through examination, not necessarily through uh, through any public form, form formality, but but being uh, called an Arya, being called an Ahat, things like that. It was because of an understanding that you gained. Okay, and there was even. Uh, as part of the rules of the Vinaya, like someone after achieving a certain degree of realization, if they broke some sort of rule, depending on the rule, but there was some, some severe rule, they would not, uh, their realization would not be recognized. That would be like a punishment. Okay? Uh, because uh, there was a time at the time, uh, around the time of the Buddha, where uh, the Buddha would sort of make an announcement. So, so by the way, so and so saw emptiness directly. Uh, by the way, so and so is now as has gone beyond samsara. He's now an arhat. So, so there was this sort of a tradition of announcing the realization of 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 of, uh, of the different people there. And this was, you can say, it was a way of giving others who are listening uh, uh, encouragement. Oh, so and so did it. I could do it too. 
oh, it's, it, these are the things that are happening right now. It's not just something that's, you know, some time in the past, way, way back in the past. So it was, uh, uh, so to the point where it became a rule, a punishment for your realization not to be announced. Okay? So you could have been the uh, uh, highest uh, realized being, maybe, I'm not sure, <laughs> but you could have had some high realizations and then as a punishment because of, I don't know, some rule that you broke, uh, you, you you would not your religion would not be announced to others. Okay. Not very much of a punishment. Uh, because I mean, if you reach that level, right? Mm-hmm. If you reach a level where you're beyond uh, caring about praise and blame, yeah. And then all that, you know. Yeah. If, yeah. Uh, as far as you're concerned, uh, it'd, it'd be a punishment for me. <laughs> like if you didn't recognize me, but, like, <laughs> someone at that level. You yeah. Know, Yeah. Unless it had something to do with something else. Like, okay, if this person knows that I know that, that this person knows that I was announced, maybe they'll listen to me more. Yeah, it, it, it was more something like that. Yeah. Yeah, but for me. Yeah, it, it, uh, for those who didn't have the ability to see such uh, realizations or such signs of realization, they wouldn't go to that person to be helped. So, in that sense. Right. Uh, but. It was also uh, in a sense of uh, like when you when you when you go to a monastery and you see the monks sit, the way they're sitting, they're arranged. They're supposed to be they're following that tradition. So the oldest monk will sit closest to the throne, and the ones who's uh, the youngest one will sit the furthest in the back. Okay, so uh, it, it comes. It gets. It's the idea of who. What object is the the object uh, through which I can gain the most merit? So someone uh, someone uh, walking in when because of the way they are arranged, so they uh, paying the most honor or being more careful with the one who sits next to the throne will sort of uh, protect you. Like you can the one all the way in the back is probably a little. Uh, Somebody who just little rookie who just came in, you can kick him in, the, kick him in the head or something. I'm not, I'm just kidding. Okay, uh, if you disrespect him, you're not gonna get that much bad karma if you disrespect the one closest to the throne. In the same way, also, if you gave uh, 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 a donation to the one in the front with the most respect, you get the most merit. Then, if if you were to give the most respect to the one in the way in the back, and also that ties a little bit. In fact, I told you the story about the. There was a disciple of the Buddha who complained, complained, and complained to the Buddha. I don't see miracles. You don't perform miracles anymore. What's the matter with you? I mean, I, I've been following you for all these years now. I've not seen you done one miracle. What's the matter with you? I'm, I'm thinking I'm leaving. I'm not staying with you anymore. But that guy over there, he's a great realized, realized being. He was talking to somebody who was uh, doing a practice. Uh, I forgot the name of the practice, but some sort of aesthetic practice where you behave like a dog. You act like a dog. I mean, the, and the one who imitated the, the dog the, <laughs> the best was considered to be like the highest, the, the most highly realized being. Yeah, uh, to the point that they walk, go around naked, walking on fours, eating like a, from a bowl like a dog, would not stand up. And somehow they got the eyes, became popular, you know, that, <laughs> that this was a high practice to do. And then he would point to that guy, so that person is highly realized. See how well he behaved. <laughs> See how complete. See how completely he. It's, it's like saying, uh, oh, you know, it, it doesn't come from the idea like uh, a dog is a noble being. Right. It was came from the idea of the person has such humility that the person is is not afraid to behave like a dog, <laughs> basically, to the point of taking on the, the the behavior of a dog, right? So that means that this person has very, 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 very high realization. The person is so, so humble. Right, and it's and it's and demonstrated in this way. So this person kept saying, uh, referring to 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 that uh, that ascetic to the Buddha, comparing to the Buddha to the ascetic as being higher than the Buddha because, and the Buddha said, well, your your great realized being by the way is going to die of food poisoning. Oh, what do you mean he's going to die of food poisoning? He's a highly realized being. How can you say such a thing? And he wants to warn the guy. I want to prove that the Buddha is wrong. Don't eat anything. <laughs> don't eat. Don't eat uh, food that people eat. Don't eat food from a bowl anymore. 
you know, uh, you know, because you're supposed to eat just like a dog, you know, whatever scrap you find on, on, on the street, you pick it up and eat. So we try to warn him to eat healthy, but anyway, that didn't, that didn't help him. He still, still died from food poisoning. And the reason I'm telling you this story is that this monk, following the Buddha, didn't have the eyes to see, didn't have the, the ability to see that the Buddha was a highly realized being, and instead he saw this dog uh, uh, ascetic as a highly realized being. And then he paid more respect to the dog ascetic than he did to the Buddha. And because the Buddha was a more the proper object to receive, uh, uh, for, from, to receive great merit by how you behave towards them, so he missed that chance. Instead he was giving, I'm sure, being nice to the dog aesthetic, he got a little married by being nice to somebody. But the merit he would have gained by being more respectful to the Buddha, he missed it. So that's the uh, reason for, that's the idea of uh, uh, conferring. It's from that culture the idea of conferring degree to someone comes from. Okay. So the more knowledge you have, and these are, it's not just knowledge about, you know, I know how many atoms are in a in a cup of coffee or something like that, but you know, not, useless, not useless facts, but facts that you can help someone with in an ultimate way. Okay. So that's where the idea of degree came from. And then later, uh, all, the degree, all the different degrees that I mentioned, from the lowest one to the highest one, the, uh, it only became lowest one because a higher one was, was devised. Okay. So the one that's called the lowest one right now in, in, within the Gelupa uh, system, the, remember the Lingse? Was at one, when it was first introduced, it was the highest degree on the land. To the point where the, the, uh, uh, it was a degree that the Dalai Lama, the earlier Dalai Lama used to have. Mm. Now it's the lowest degree. Okay. And then some, somebody will come up with a, another kind of degree. Uh, understanding the, the, the topics in this way, and being able to, uh, having memorized this much, having mem uh, uh, being able to, now, the La Lampa, the, the highest degree, is not the same as it used to be back, uh, back then. And, and it's the, and it's actually the newest degree. And the reason that, it, that it's considered to be the highest now is because it came later and, it's, it, and it uh, made to surpass the ones before. Okay. And the Lahrampa degree is, is, was com is always conferred at a specific time during the... You've heard about the big f prayer festival that happens in, in, in Tibet? Have you, heard, yeah, you haven't heard about it? Well, there's a big... <laughs> there's a, the biggest festival in Tibet happens to be around uh, New Year's and for, I think, for two weeks or, or maybe one week or two weeks, they spend that entire week doing prayers, different kinds of prayers. You know, all the different, uh, all the different, uh, different sect come come into. Uh, they, they gather and they, they they make prayers for a whole week. They just do big prayers. Okay, it's called the big prayer festival. And during that time, that's when the Lalampa Geshe degree is conferred. It's like it's like the it's like the what you want to call it. The, it became the. Uh, what was that? <laughs> uh, no, not, I wasn't saying it necessary to make a comparison. I was saying it was like the for that ceremony, for that uh, festival, it became like the high point for that festival. At finally, the the degree is conferred on someone, and that's like the the high point of, of that ceremony. Okay. All right. So, yes. Uh, Tibetans recognize it, but this uh, uh, remember I, it goes back to the way of the Buddha of, rec of, of the Buddha recognizing so and so having gained a realization, making a public re realization of it. And then later on, uh, when people didn't have such great realizations in mass numbers anymore, then uh, uh, in, in Nalanda, for example, there will be a, such of a recognition of someone as being a great scholar. And, and there, wasn't, there wasn't necessarily a degree conferred upon them, but there, was, there would be examinations. Okay. Like, for example, uh, the end, 
Nalanda was a very big monastery in India, and it had like, I guess, I remember, I think at its high point, it had like 10,000 students. I mean, imagine back then a university with 10,000 students. Uh, and, and it wasn't just anybody could, go, could, could get into Nalanda. You have to be examined. You have to be proved that you're worthy of being a student of Nalanda to get, to get accepted to Nalanda. So you have to have been uh, uh, somebody of, or who had already begun your studies already. And then you get in, and then you, and then you, and then you study, and then the examinations that are carried on, and then the person who was the highest, among the highest scholars, became the, the abbot of Nalanda. So that tradition got into Tibet, and that's why the earlier the Sakyas the, started to confer degrees by inviting anyone who's a Buddhist. Anyone who's a Buddhist could come and go to, could do, go to the Sakya monastery that was doing the degree and then get the degree, even though they were not necessarily a Sakya follower themselves. Uh, uh, the Geshe degree, uh, uh, the, the, the word Geshe itself was something was, the, the, there was a, a little group that was very highly respected, highly respected by all the different uh, sect in, of, of, uh, of Buddhism in Tibet. They were called the Kadampas. Everyone respected them. Everyone saw them as highly trained, highly uh, realized, uh, the people who pract uh, great practitioners. Uh, but that group was completely absorbed by all the other groups, so there was no longer just one group called the Kadampas anymore. So the teachings of the Kadampas were absorbed with the Nyingmas and all the other sect. And these Kadampas were called Geshe's. That when, you, when somebody was highly recognized as a great teacher, the teacher was called a great friend, a great spiritual friend. And that's where the, world, the term Geshe came from. And then since the Kadampas were no longer around, so nobody were, there, was no one, there, were no, there was no one alive who was being called a Geshe anymore. And then the Sakyas came with the idea of conferring degrees on others, and then they started to uh, call people, uh, the, 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 they started you know, with some sort of name, like for example, they were called Kachu, the person who knew uh, uh, the topics. Okay. Ka coming from the, the words of the Buddha, somebody who understood the words of the Buddha. And they started to confer that uh, degree. But the, the term Geshe was sort of loosely given to the Kadampas because they were such great teachers. And when the Kadampas were no longer around, the term Geshe was no longer referred to them. And the, the, afterwards, the, 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 the Gelukpas started incorporating the idea of giving uh, degrees to, to scholars. Then, they, then later on, they started to, to give the term Geshe to their, to their scholars. So it was a way of saying for, from the Gelukpas, we recognize you as a great teacher because you, have, you understand so, so much. Okay. And then the Geshe now started to have different categories from, from the small to the, to the highest, the Lalampa Geshe degree. Right. Uh, the others, the, uh, the, all, all, all the term, the Geshe degree can, is conferred mainly to Gelukpas. Others are invited or it is open to others from different, uh, from, I mean, somebody from Thailand, for example, I, I'm actually right now, I think there are monks from Thailand, monks from different, from, from Theravadan traditions. And also there are monks from other traditions in Tibet, like the Burn, for example. They would go to a, a, a Gelukpa monastery, study, and get the Geshe degree. Unlike the Sakyas, the way the Sakyas used to do it, you, don't, you didn't go to the Sakyas and study and then get the degree. You would already have studied on your own, and then you would go to the Sakya monastery when you thought you, you knew enough, and then they would, they would give you the examination. But, but, from, but the way the Gelupas do it now, you, you cannot just come from nowhere and say, okay, give me the exam, and they give it to you. You have to have been studied within the Gelupa system. But anyone from, from uh, somewhere, like the burn, like I mentioned, the burn, go in there to study, and uh, some Theravadan monks even go there and study. And then eventually they get the Geshe degree, if they want it. Uh, so the others, uh, the Sakyas, I'm not sure what, 
what they call the degrees now. They don't call it geshe. They have a different. Uh, the kagyus also have the geshe. So you have the nyingmas, the kagyu, the sakya, and the gilukpa. These are the main sect of uh, you find in Tibet. But there are other sect also which are not, not that don't have that much popularity as these four. And the and each of them they give some sort of scholastic degree. Okay. And perhaps you've heard that kempo so and so. So the word kempo is a degree that is referred by, I think, by the Nyingmas. Okay. Or if it's not the Kagyu, I'm not sure. <laughs> okay, uh, we're back now, almost finished. On page 14, the last paragraph. Uh, the original Pabon Karimbache, remember now Pabon Karimbache died, passed, and then and now they're in, uh, uh, Tibet has been invaded by China and the monks are running away. Okay. The original Pabon Karimbache also survived in the labors of his principal disciples and in his numerous writings. His collected works comprise some 15 volumes with a total of about 100 different treatises covering a wide range of topics from both the open and secret teachings of the Buddha. You know what open and secret teachings are, right? No. no. Open teachings are teachings uh, <coughs> that is given to the public. Secret teachings are teachings that are given specifically only to those who have been given an initiation. So uh, my, my secret teachings, or what you might call esoteric teachings, are teachings on Tantra and things like that. His students played a special role in preserving his teachings, as many of the major works that we have today are actually record records of his oral discourses compiled by his closest followers. The commentary on the three principal paths here, for example, was prepared from a collection of lecture notes by the Venerable Losang Doje. The Rinpoche's great work on the steps of the path to Buddhahood entitled Liberation in Our Hands was compiled by Kabje Chijang Rinpoche, Losang Yeshe Tenzin Gyatso. So it wasn't uh, Chijang Rinpoche who compiled this work, that, that, like I mentioned last time. So it was someone else, so, someone named Losang Doje, who served as one of the two tutors of the the present Dalai Lama, and was my own precious root Lama. Kyabje Tijang Rinpoche has left us with a detailed biography of Pabongka Rinpoche in two volumes, along with some nine lengthy volumes of his own masterly composition. It is at Tijang Rinpoche's direction, too, that I have undertaken an English translation of Liberation in Our Hands. Liberation in Our Hands is that three-volume book mm -hmm. So, uh, so we know how it came into existence now. Okay. It was Chijang Rinpoche who asked him to translate it into English. And the first volume will be published this year. Well, <laughs> when he was writing this, the first, part, the first volume didn't come out yet. But now, it's, I told you, it's in three volumes, so that's <laughs> way past. Okay. Over many centuries, Tibet has produced an extraordinary number of Buddhist saints and scholars. Therefore, it is rare for a Lama's teaching to become classics within his own lifetime, as did the works of Pabongka Rinpoche. Certainly, another exception to this rule was the matchless Jason Kappa, the author of the original verses of the three principal paths in the present volume. Lord Tsongkhapa's full name was Galwa Jason Kappa Chempo Losang Chakpa. Uh, Galwa Jason Kappa Chempo. <laughs> All that are titles. Okay? His mother did not call him Gawa Jesongkapa Chembo. Okay? All that is honorific given to him by his followers. Gawa means uh, glorious conqueror. J means lord. Tsongkapa means the one from Tsongka. Chembo means the great. <laughs> so the great one from Tsongka, the lord, the, the conqueror. Losongkapa. <laughs> So that's his name, Losang Dapa. And Losang Dapa was the name uh, given to him uh, when he became ordained. I'm not sure what, what was, if we ever, if we know what, what, what his name was, the name, actually the name that he was given to him by his mother. 
his parents. He holds a unique position in our Tibetan uh, Buddhist tradition. All in one, he has the greatest. He was the greatest philosopher and most eloquent writer and most successful organizer of Buddhism who ever lived in our land. Of course, that means the person who's saying this is somebody who's following his tradition. Not everyone in Tibet necessarily agrees. Of course, they, they all agree that he was a great philosopher, he was a great, eloquent writer, but they would not necessarily, not every Tibetan would necessarily say he was the most. Okay? Of course, all the Galupas, including me, will say he was the most. <laughs> uh, who ever lived in, in the land of, uh, of Tibet. As time continues to pass after the forced opening of our country's doors, I feel sure he will come to be recognized throughout the world as one of the greatest thinkers in, our, in history. He was born in 1357 in the Amdo area of northeast Tibet in a district called Tsongkha. That's why he's now his name. Hence his name, which means the one from Tsongkha, Tsongkhapa. He was granted his first basic vows at a tender age from Churje Karmapa Rolpe Doje and received the name Kunga Nyingbo. That was the first uh, name, ordination name that he received, Kunga Nyingbo. By the age of eight, he had taken his vows as a Buddhist novice and already received initiations into the secret teachings of Buddhism. He excelled in his studies and, on the advice of his teachers, journeyed, journeyed to central Tibet in his 16th year to seek further instruction from the many sages there. I imagine that, huh? The idea of 16, traveling, being a traveling scholar. Uh, it would be impossible to relate here all of what Jason Kappa had studied. Briefly put, he mastered the entire open and secret teachings of Buddhism as well as the various classic sciences. A few examples of the subjects he covered with different teachers are okay, the secret teachings of Naro and the great seal from Chenga Chiki Galpo. Uh, the, secret, uh, the secret teachings of Naro uh, is what uh, Rinpoche has been teaching here. Uh, uh, the, the, uh, what do you call it? The six, what do you call it? Yeah, six something of six yogas of Naropa. Okay, the Great Seal uh, is what is uh, is, a, is a teaching that is very popular. It's a high teaching with the, the other the other sect. It's called it's what you might call Mahamudra. The ancient medical tra traditions from J. Konchok Gab. The perfection of wisdom from masters at Dewachen Monastery. The great Sakya teacher Rendawa. Rendawa was considered to be like he's one of his main teachers. And Nyawan Kungapel. The steps of the path and the other seer precepts from Hle Rinpoche. Classic logic from Lochen Dusan. Venermo Rendawa and Doji Rinchen. The treasury of knowledge. The treasure of knowledge, that's what is called uh, uh, Abhidhamma. Okay. The treasure of knowledge from Lochen Dunsang and Venerable Rendawa. The middle way, middle way is uh, uh, Madhyamika. From Venerable Rendawa, and you see Venerable Rendawa, his name is mentioned a lot. Okay. And Kenchen uh, Chukyab Sangbo. Older sutras from Kanchen Losel, Vad Morality, that's, that's um, Vinaya. It's interesting, and now I'm, I have to translate the English into uh, <laughs> Sanskrit for you, because we, we, we know these subjects mostly by the Sanskrit names. Vad Morality from Venerable Rendawa and Master Chukyapsangbo, the secret teachings of the Wheel of Time, Kala Chakra, <laughs> from Yeshe Gelsen and others. Those of the secret collection, Guya Samaja, <laughs> from Venerable Rendara, as well as from Lady Mboche and others. According to the system of their teacher, Bhutan Rinpoche, the blue book of the seer masters, 
And what he's calling here seer and master is kadam or kagyu. Okay. The deeds of the bodhisattvas and early mental training texts from Kanchen Trukyapasangbo. And the list goes on and on. Okay. The deeds of bodhisattva is uh, bodhisattva charyavatara. That's when you. That's uh, 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 I forgot his name. Shantideva. Okay. Uh, Shantideva's text, by the way, the Bodhisattva Charya Avatara, is considered to be like a main text that is studied in all the different lineages, uh, especially in the other lineages. It is considered a, a, a special topic in itself to study Shantideva's t- uh, works. Uh, this does not include all the teachings that Lord Tsongkhapa is said to have received directly from enlightened beings through his dreams, visions, and direct contact. So that's one of the reasons that uh, one, of, one of the reasons that Tsongkhapa is considered to be so special with the Gelupas, that uh, all these teachings he received from human beings were further enhanced by teachings that he received from non-human beings like uh, Manjushri and so forth. And he said he received them from direct contact. We read, for example, that for many years he was tutored by the divine being gentle voice. Manjushri. <laughs> At first, one of his principal teachers, Lama Umapa, acted as sort of trans- translator. Later on, Lord Tsongkhapa was able to meet and learn from his, this being on his own. So in the beginning, this was a strange thing. Uh, this uh, teacher called uh, Lord Lama Umapa was like somewhat what you might call a, what's that word, a, a, a medium, a medium, it was somewhat like a medium and the, the person that he was, the being that he was, uh, what we call channeling, was Jesong, not Jesongapa, was Manjushri. So Jesongapa would go to Lama Umapa, Lama Umapa would channel a Manjushri and Manjushri would speak and, and uh, instruct Jesongapa this way. And after some time, Jesongapa was later was able to communicate directly with Manjushri himself, and then he would get the teachings himself directly. Now, we should say a word here about these divine beings. We Buddhists believe that there are many Buddhist Buddhas in the universe, and that they can reach, they can each appear on one or more planets at the same time. If this will help the beings who live there, we believe that a Buddha is the ultimate evolution of all life. That he can know all things, but does not have all power. He did not create the universe, for example. This we have done by the force of our own past deeds, good and bad. Not, nor can he take all our sufferings away from us by himself. These two, we believe, come from our own past actions and must be stopped by ourselves. So in this little paragraph now he gives little teachings, like, like uh, almost like an overview of Buddhism. He said Buddhahood is the ultimate evolution of all life. So everyone has the pot- this is what This is what is considered to be the Buddha potential, or the Buddha nature of all beings, of all things, of all beings. All beings have Buddha nature in the sense that they have the, they have the potential to achieve Buddhahood. And what is that Buddhahood? We briefly described it as somebody who is omniscient, but it doesn't mean that it's somebody who is omnipotent. And the Buddha, uh, 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 some, and the reason that he had to say this is because uh, for, even now I would say there are some people who do not understand Buddhism and who hear about it, uh, and then they see a Buddhist sort of like bowing to statues of the Buddha. They, they, say, they, they say, oh, that must be their god. So, but he's trying to say here that the Buddhists don't consider the Buddha to be a god in the sense of someone who created the universe. But they consider the Buddha to be someone who has reached the ultimate state of evolution in life. And because they've reached such a state, that person is capable of helping them do the same. Okay. So that's the relationship that Buddhists have with the Buddha. So for them, the ultimate guide. So as far as your suffering and 
and the freedom from suffering is concerned, it is your own, you recreated that through our own actions. And we have the ability to stop it ourselves. And how do we stop it? We go to a Buddha and ask, hey, how did you do it? Teach me how. Okay, that's the relationship we, we, we make with the Buddha. Okay. We do believe that in, by studying and practicing the teachings of the Buddha, we ourselves can become Buddhas, as can every living being. Therefore, we can speak of enlightened beings appearing to a saint directly and so on. We do not mean that Buddhists believe in a great many gods or the likes, but rather that any being who has removed all his sufferings and gained all knowledge can appear to any one of us, and in any form that may help us to reach this ultimate state ourselves. I guess he's trying to explain, uh, I, uh, saying that Jason Kapow is a human being was, in, had, was having a communion with a non-human being called Manjushri. And he's trying to explain it. Okay. Okay. Only after receiving a great many teachings did Lord Tsongkhapa take his full ordination as a monk. This was in Yalung, south of Lhasa, where he was when he was 25. The ordination name he had already been granted upon becoming a novice was Losong Takpa. And it is in Lord Tsongkhapa's memory that so many Tibetans are given Losong as their personal name. So, just like Tenzin, Tashi, Losang is a very popular name. And if, if you, if, like if you say uh, someone uh, referring to a Tibetan that you know, and you say, oh, did you meet Tashi? And they're probably saying, it's like, it's like telling him, did you, did you meet Tom? Or do you know John? You know, just a name that almost, almost every Tibetan has. And the, with the Tibetans, uh, there are, in that, there are very, very, very few names that are very, very gender-specific. Losang can be a man who could be a woman. Tashi can be a man who could be a woman. And almost all the names that you've that you heard of in Tibetan names, they could be both male or female. Only very special names like, like La Mo, for example, is a woman. Okay. By now, his transition from student to teacher was accelerating quickly. And in fact, he later tutored a number of his own greater, greatest, greatest teachers. We can understand his life from this point on more clearly if we look at the influence his teaching still has on Buddhism today, rather than simply retracing his career up to the final moment at Gundan Monastery in 1419 when he passed away at the age of 62. All right. Now we're going to get into the... Like, if you want to know... So, in a way, uh, the Gelukpa, the followers of Jason Kappa, uh, are uh, just like the follower of the Buddha, or anyone who's a follower of the Buddha, is, in a way, putting into, into practice or living the life that the way the Buddha lived before he became a Buddha, so that they can become a Buddha themselves... So the Gelukpas are, in a way, tracing or following the steps that Jason Kappa followed so that they can become like Jason Kappa. So since Jason Kappa was a, was a great uh, scholar, he studied with many teachers, he studied uh, not only the teachings that were open, but also he studied a lot of the tantras and practice, so the Gelukpas are, in a way, trying to do that. And all the, all the different topics, all the different things that he studied, they are trying to, they, they want to study, they are studying also. So that's why the curriculum in the Gelupa monasteries are somewhat styled after the life that Jason Kappa uh, le, uh, led. And, in, and, and some, in, now we're going to get into the more of the, uh, the, the curriculum that a monk. General, generally studies within the Gelupa Monastery. Okay. Now, what do you think about this thing about Jason Kappa meeting with uh, Manjushri? Does that inspire you? Does that make you uh, uh, consider... Jason, does that make you consider Jason Kappa more of uh, 
worth your time to study, were more worth your time to read about, to, to, have, to know that, oh, he, talk, he spoke directly with Manjushri. He must know what he's talking about. <laughs> he must be speaking the truth. Interestingly enough, that is a point of uh, that is the point where it, with, you will find this within the Tibetan uh, culture, Tibetan culture. This point of a being communicating, just like in, just like, I guess in every religion, you can think of think of someone who says, "I'm in direct communion with Jesus," or "I'm in direct communion with God." You will end up. You, <laughs> You will end up with, with having two kinds of reactions from people. Mm-hmm. Some people who believe you and think that you are the greatest saint on the planet and, and, and you will form your own sub-cult. And others who have been existing already, existence already considered to be completely crazy. Okay? So, so uh, Christianity or, or, I don't know, Islam or all the theological th- th- Western theological religions are not, are not alone, are not alone in, in, in that. So just like in, in the, also in the Tibetan uh, community, if somebody says, I'm in direct communion with such and such a god, such and such with the sadhva, those who, f- who are with him, that is, in his own... Uh, uh, like the Gelupa, for example, if, if, if it's the person who says that is a Gelupa, then the other Gelupas will respect that person. Oh, what a great being. He was, he was he's such a great practitioner. He ended up being in direct contact with, with Banjushri and, and so on and so forth. But the other ones, the other, from the other set, may not necessarily take that. They say, oh, he's another crazy guy, another crazy Gelupa who thinks that he's in direct uh, contact with uh, Banjushri. And then when he starts uh, giving out teachings, that, that they're not familiar with, they'll say, see, it's crazy, completely made up stuff. But yet, those who are with the Gelupas or those who, who have believe, believe him will take those things to be very precious teachings. And I'm, 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 and I'm saying the Gelupa as an example, so that is, this is what the Gelupas also do to the others. So if somebody from some, the Nyingmas, for example, says he's in direct contact with Manjushri, and then he's giving out some teachings that the Gelupas have never heard of. They will say, oh, that's just made up stuff. But the Nyingmas will say, oh, this guy is great. He's in connection with, with Manjushri. This is a very precious teaching. So everybody does it. So if the Catholic, some Catholic priest says, I'm in direct contact with Jesus, some Catholic will say, wow, this is, this is, what, this is what happens when you're a Catholic, when you're a good Catholic. You end up with being directly, talking directly with Jesus. And if he's saying something that they've never heard of before, they, oh, these are very precious teachings very, that they are all just for our time, the Protestant will say, oh, there goes the Catholics again, going crazy. Okay? <laughs> and of course, the Catholics will do it to the Protestants, and you no. Know, so it's, it's just culture. So who ends up saying, who ends up, who ends up, who ends, who ends up uh, deciding, oh yeah, Jason Kaba spoke with Manjushri. Exactly. It's up to you, the individual. Just like it's up to you to, to agree, uh, that priest really spoke with Jesus, or for you, up to you to disagree with it. Just like it's up to you to agree with that Jesongaba directly spoke with Manjushri. And if, if that will help you accept his words, then, uh, then saying you spoke directly with Manjushri will help you. But if you just examine his stuff and then say, okay, it makes sense to me, then you say, I don't care if he spoke with Manjushri or not, it makes sense to me, and it, it's helping me. And whether he spoke with Manjushri or not, if it helps you to agree with, to, to, to really take them in, then okay, say he spoke with Manjushri directly. If, it, if that, doesn't, it, that doesn't help you to accept it or to make those things uh, go deeper into your own, into your own life, then, then you don't have to, the thing is, you don't have to accept that, ah, oh, 
in order for those teachings to make sense for me, in order for this teaching to work for me, I have to agree that he saw Manjushri directly. That, that, that is not the point of it. Okay. So, it's kind of interesting that in this book, he talks about the, the medium that he had to, to understand Manjushri. Yeah. Um, and then the following paragraph, it, it really goes into how that everybody has that potential. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so it's sort of, to me, when I read that, when you were reading that, I, I think I understand that Manjushri is also just an emanation of the Buddha. Not just, I don't mean that. He's a mere emanation. To say he's an emanation of the Buddha is... Uh, it can be ac- accepted at some point. But uh, the way he's prescribed Manjushri is a, a Buddha himself. He is a being like Janet or John who practiced and then became a Buddha. And then the name that he received uh, uh, at that time is Manjushri, or kept at that time as a Buddha is Manjushri. The, the Buddha we're speaking of is not Shakyamuni Buddha. Say this will have as practice, uh, keep, uh, arrive at a level that he uh, um, re- gained realizations through his practice and that allowed him to be able to see Manjushri directly. communication with Manjushri yet, but if you don't have any direct communication with Manjushri now, you can have a direct communication with Manjushri. Communication with Manjushri. When Manjushri come and teach you specifically and say, okay, this is what you need to do, or this is the understanding, this is the this is the way we should understand this and that. And that potential is with all of us. And not only that, that's the, that's the beauty of the paragraph that he's talking about, is that not only do you have you, you can go from the state where you don't have any direct communication with... You know, well, first of all, we don't have direct communication with somebody who can channel Manjushri, where you can talk to Manjushri through channeling. Okay. So, we can go from this state to meeting someone like that, and not only from this state to meeting someone like that, but to actually be that person, to actually to have direct communication with Manjushri ourselves. But it doesn't just stop, doesn't just end there with our potential. We can become Manjushri ourselves. So all of these are possibilities that lay uh, uh, in front of us. That we can, and it is the, it is the very nature of our being that, uh, that allows us to be not able to directly contact Manjushri. And it's that also that allows us to be able to one day be able to even become as be as equal to Manjushri in knowledge and being able to help others. And and that's what this book, The Three Principle Path, is supposed to be teaching you. How to become someone who can have direct communication with Manjushri. How to become someone who is able to become Manjushri himself or herself. Okay. So it's not just becoming a great scholar like Jason Kappa, but uh, that is if you consider Jason Kappa to be just a, just a great scholar, but to be to be also able to one day become man, like Manjushri, be like Mike, be like Manjushri. <laughs> okay, any questions? Any points uh, made here that's not clear? So you, you said there's something about our nature that allows us to 
to get to the point where we can't connect with Manjushri and there's something about our nature that allows us to get to the point where we can connect with and then also there's something about our nature that allows us to become Manjushri yeah. or to become non-Manjushri yeah. so what is that? Uh, that is what is called uh, referred to as Buddha nature and it is what uh, is referred to our our ultimate st- ultimate state of being, our ultimate nature. So it is because of our the f- fundamental nature, our, our fundamental fun- because of our fundamental nature. You can see uh, the, the term that I use I'm using nowadays lately is that fundamental fundamental freedom that we have, that fundamental freedom which is our nature, it allows us to act in such a way where we reap the results of that action and nothing outside of us can stop that action from ripening. And you can act in such a way where you bring yourself into a state of suffering and nothing outside of you can stop that suffering from ripening. Or you can also act in such a way where you bring yourself into a state where you're, where you're, where you're completely omniscient. And nothing can, outside of you can stop you from reaping that, that benefit. And the reason that you can either be a complete idiot or a completely omniscient being is because of the freedom of our being to do so. That is, it is within our power. It is completely within our power to, do, to, to be either. We, we are suffering in samsara. How did we get here? It's not some outside agent that forced us here. Yeah. through our own stupidity through our own not knowing the true nature of reality through our own arrogance of thinking of what we, we, we of thinking we know what the ultimate nature of things are of the nature of things is makes us behave in such a way that brings us this kind of result but because our fundamental nature is not this it is, it is you could say it's pure potential to suffer or pure potential to not suffer it's up to us to decide how that potential manifests. So there's freedom to uh, like instruct people. Yeah. And freedom from being stuck as something. Yeah. You're free to be stuck as somebody who's suffering and you're free to free yourself from suffering. And it's completely up to you. And the Buddhas are there to to help you not to suffer because you don't need help with that. <laughs> we are masters of that. <laughs> but we don't quite know how to free ourselves from suffering. So that's what, that's what a Buddha is here for. That's, a relationship. that's why we, we develop a relationship with a Buddha. To teach us how to free ourselves. Why, um, why do you need, I mean, I don't understand. Why do you need for secret teachings? And um, if this is something that came up to be, like Buddha said, this is going to be secret and this is going to be like open teachings for different people, or I don't understand that, that concept? Not different people in a sense of, of, uh, of some, some sort of prejudice, some sort of, uh, uh, okay, there's a teaching uh, I'm keeping secret just for you, that, not, that, not that kind of that sense. The reason that it's called secret, first of all, is that the person who's practicing it is not, you're not supposed to let other people know that you're just studying, you're, you're practicing it. Like, you can have, like in the monastery, uh, Tibet right now, and all the Himalayan uh, 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 nations, they're all Vajrayana nations. They all have Tantra embedded in, in, into their culture. Every, like, uh, like you read, for, for example, at the tender age of eight, he was, intro- he was initiated into the secret teachings. So by the time that you're, you know, 15, or by now, even, I, 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 I've even heard that there are people who receive initiations while they're in the womb, okay? So I don't know how it happens, but <laughs> I hear that it happens. So 
the idea of receiving secret teachings is not so much that a selected few get, get it and some don't. At least that, that, that's how it is right now in, 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 in Tibet and all the Himalayan uh, uh, countries. Everybody is a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a practitioner of Tantra of some sort. Okay. Um, by the time you get to be of uh, mature age, you've already been, been introduced to it. But everybody in the country could all be practicing Tantra, but, they're not, but you're supposed to do it in a way where you keep it secret. You're not supposed to be going out advertising. You're not supposed to show any sign that you're doing th these kinds of teachings. And, this, and that's why they have the name secret. And open means that uh, you, you can have signs that you're doing those teachings. You can have signs that you're practicing them. And it's, that's not what make it uh, efficacious. That's not... That's not what makes those teachings that are secret efficacious is to keep them secret. Okay. There are certain teachings that what makes them work is to keep them secret. That's why they're called secret teachings. Okay. There you go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because uh, uh, that question also uh, comes from... Uh, those who are outside of it, uh, who, because it is in the sutra where the Buddha says that I have no secret teachings, in the sense of there aren't some teachings that I keep for myself. Okay? Whatever I know, I have taught you. I'm not keeping anything secret. I'm not keeping anything to myself. And, it, and, and uh, the term was, was uh, teaching with closed fists. Is that what it is? Closed fists. That, uh, there's something I'm holding in my hand that I'm not, that I'm, that I'm not opening up to you. But some people, some people uh, interpret that to mean that the Buddha didn't have any esoteric teachings. So the idea of having esoteric teaching is not Buddhist. So it, it's interpreting that, 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 that what the Buddha said. But the interpretation of that, not having secrets, Buddha meant I'm not keeping any secrets from you. But just, and, and everybody knows that, every Buddhist, no matter what uh, tradition you're from, whether you're Tibetan or Theravadan or Chen or Zen, they all, they all know that every teaching that the Buddha taught was taught to a specific audience. So in a way, you could say the Buddha was, that was the teaching that was given to specific people. But it wasn't specific in the sense that, oh, the teaching I taught you here, don't go teach those people, they keep it secret. Not in that sense. This is what you need. This is what I'm going to teach you. And everything I know that you should that you should do that you should know for you to help yourself, I will give, uh, teach you. And and the idea of keeping secret, that is, withholding certain teachings, is a fear of the student knowing more than the the, the teacher. The Buddha wasn't afraid of his students getting to know more than him. He wants he wanted his students to know equally what he knew. In that sense, Buddha said, I'm not, I don't have any secret teachings. I don't teach with a, I don't teach with a closed fist. Okay. So if, if it, just in case you come into that kind of criticism, is your, that's your explanation for it. <laughs> okay. All right, so let's, uh, if, if there are more, more questions, we'll do a closing. I'm surprised that uh, you guys came here. It's supposed to be Labor Day weekend. Mm -hmm. Sunday, right before tomorrow, Labor Day. I heard somebody say going to the Red Square. Who said that? Uh, <laughs> 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 but Labor Day outside of the United States is in May, some, right? May, Sunday, right? May Day, right? Yeah. Do they celebrate Labor Day in Canada? Around this time? It's just the United States, right? Yeah. Okay. So we'll do the uh, dedication and last prayers. 16.
So to whatever understanding you gain, give thanks to whatever means that brought the understanding, understanding to you. with its Mount Meru, adorned by four continents, the sun and moon, visualized as a Buddha field, I offered to the merit field. May all beings partake of a supremely pure Buddha field. Okay, so we'll get to know these, these terms, Buddha field and merit field, because you, something that you encounter a lot in Tibetan Buddhism. And just because just like uh, Manjushri's Buddha field is different from Shakyamuni Buddha's Buddha field, so the merit field of the Satyas is different from the merit field of the Gelupas. Okay? <laughs> we get to understand that later. And I think maybe in, in the very beginning he goes into that. We, we go into it a little bit. Okay? Now, page uh, 20. Uh, 24 <laughs> May all beings perfect the accumulations of merit and wisdom and achieve the two holy bodies that arise from merit and wisdom. Okay. So, we'll do the meditation sometime soon. soon. <laughs> What's next week? Are you traveling? Or? No, I'm not traveling. No. Uh, I think this class. Yeah, there is class. Okay. I'm not traveling. 